Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast where my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter. And I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining. But we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should be taken as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun. And now without further ado, on to the episode. Yeah. Okay. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the next episode of Buffeting with Mitch and Cass. Welcome. Welcome. Um, we've been quite busy for the last few months, so we haven't really done much in the way of podcasts, have we? No. Well, I like to keep it to only doing this when we enjoy it and yeah. we feel like doing it. Yeah. So I think it just ends up being more enjoyable to listen to when we're not doing it for like an objective or an incentive. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like we usually wait until we have something pretty that we think is interesting or something that, you know, could be interesting to other people before we actually do them. Yes. Um, and yeah, we think we found something pretty, pretty interesting that's again, making us kind of reassess our whole portfolio and take things back to like first principles and actually, you know, make sure we're seeing the world in the correct way. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think this time, this might be the first time um, if this is the first time people are seeing us or hearing us, um, there's a bit, a little bit of backstory about us. So we used to have regular jobs. Um, now we're full-time investors. Um, that happened over a period of a few, of a few years. Um, basically, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger enthusiasts. Mm-hmm. Um, done a lot of reading on that subject and definitely come from that kind of mental philosophy. But I feel like... Uh, That was how we were investing for basically like five years. And then the virus happened. Um, We were fortunate to do some reading early on and came to the conclusion that the virus was a serious problem and it was going to take over the world, which it did. Um, And we liquidated our whole portfolio in February. Um, We weren't short or to be specific, we bought puts on travel companies, um, ended up making about 15 times our money on those investments um, and that enabled us to actually both quit our jobs and invest full time so we're basically value investors who got like one big macro thing correct (laughs) Um, and then that worked out pretty good and I guess we're now seeing something else in the macro realm that we're really concerned about and we really want people to be jolted out of their um, normal lives be jolted out of their normal way of investing, looking at stocks, whatever you're doing, I I think you need to stop and really consider if we're about to have a massive change in the way the world works. Um, And that's basically because of all the inflation that we're seeing in America. Yeah. And I think maybe um, it's really helpful if you're an investor and you haven't looked back on history, Mm. like maybe you've been investing for 10 years and you feel like there's certain yeah. things that couldn't happen that you've never seen happen before and you don't think it's a real risk and it's like well you know the fed can't raise rates that'll crush the market it's just they're not going to do that they couldn't do that but yeah. you really need to like broaden um your view of history i think and like look back yeah from the 1900 like the past 100 years we're still the same humans we're still we have the same behavior yep um, we have the same biases yeah. and, you know, 
scarcity mentalities kick in and, mm-hmm. and the same like rhythms of humanity play out time and time again. Yeah. So yeah, even if you you feel like really experienced and you've even if you've done really well, which is the thing that um I mean doing well is never easy. You still have to do your research and buy the right stocks and everything, but we are in a world where the tide has been rising and lifting most boats. Like it pretty much has, you know, if there's been a huge amount of money that's been printed, that's been created. Um, from our calculations, roughly uh, a trillion of the four to five trillion that's been created from the money supply, from the um, Fed printing money essentially, has gone into the stock market. And that explains a lot of the rise that we've seen over the last year. There's just nowhere else for money to go. And with rates being held near zero, there's no alternative for your money. And through the last 10, 15, 20 years, starting in the GFC, there's been no cost to keeping rates at zero and there's been no negative effects of keeping money near zero, you know, keeping interest rates near zero. But now for the first time in 40 years, we're now seeing serious, serious inflation. Um, the real number is like 6.8, is it? CPI in America year right now? Year over year. Year over year. Yeah. So, you know, from from this time last year, uh, you know, your average basket of goods is 6.8% higher. But when you break it down category by category, that's massively understates it. And if you're a poor person, it probably feels a lot worse than that. And that's why um, you've got, when you look at the data, company confidence is at a record high because companies are doing great. Companies are pumping out profits. Their margins are expanding. It's going really well while consumer confidence is at a record low. Like consumer confidence is actually as low as it was in the COVID crisis in that period of time. So things are not going well and that's actually because of inflation. People know that even though they're getting pay rises and even though they've gotten stimulus checks, they're still not doing that well because prices are rising faster. And we haven't had that before for 40 years since the 70s and 80s. Um, so pretty much everybody who's investing, even if you're a 40 year old, you've never seen, you know, inflation surging like it is. And the effects of that are, you know, quite, can be quite damaging on a portfolio that's set up not for that environment. Um, yeah. Is that making sense so far? Yeah, I think so. And there's obviously like a lot of counter arguments to that. Like, you know, COVID happened, it shut off the supply chain so we're just feeling the effects of that and that's just like a a novel situation that's just going to go away it's like going to be a, a few months of transitory yep. inflation then it'll get back to normal yeah um but with china still shutting down factories because mm-hmm. of cases here and there and the supply chain's not going back to normal anytime no. soon um this is going to be like with us for a long long time yeah. And while we're already getting the effect of price increases through from supply chain disruptions yeah. um, to the levels we're having at the moment, it's like if, if that continues on mm-hmm. for a couple more months and then like another year, like it's just not, it needs to be counted. Yeah. So it needs to be controlled because yeah. it's not transitory is like well in three months it's going to fix itself yeah that's not reality no that's not going to happen no you had the whole world shut down 
for a whole year and it's still being shut down on and off on and off and that's causing a lot of from what from our research is causing a lot of friction all across the economic supply chain which is resulting in higher prices and that's just like that's a that seems to be a permanent thing it's not transitory it's consistent there's a whole bunch of other factors as well yeah and again people might say well yeah okay prices are higher but there's more money floating around than ever before yeah like people have the highest savings on record yeah um if prices go up well people can actually afford it but when you combine like supply shortages Mm -hmm. with more money than ever before and inflation already happening less stuff more money more money that's actually like a a fire that's like lighting a match for inflation especially if supply chains do start coming through if stock does start hitting stores, yep. people are willing to pay more and buy more. Yep. They probably would buy more than they normally would yep. because they now have this scarcity mentality yep. where it's just going to push prices higher yeah. and um, corrode your purchasing power even more. Exactly, exactly. Like whatever way you look at this, like it might, it could very well be doomsday. <laughs> <laughs> might not be doomsday, yeah. but... I feel like everyone should have some sort of play Mm -hmm. as a hedge in their portfolio um, for if this situation does occur, similar to the 70s. If inflation occurs similar to the 70s now, what would your portfolio look like? What would happen to it? Exactly. Like the stuff you hold now, if they had to function in like a scenario where there's interest rates of 2% or 3% or 5%, how would each of those things do? Like yeah. you've got a um, pressure test. You've got a pressure test. All your it. holdings. Exactly right. And the the way it affects stocks and the way it affects bonds is quite different. So stocks in an inflationary environment that can raise prices in keeping with inflation. So they can, let's say inflation is 5%, while stocks can raise, you know, a good company can raise prices 5%. Can maintain the same margin, right? And as long as the multiple that you pay, so if you pay ten times earnings and the earnings grows at five percent with inflation growing five percent, you're probably not going to lose money. But a bond's not like that. So a bond is a fixed amount of money that's coming for a fixed amount of time. And I'll just kind of explain. So at the moment, you can buy um, a high yield bond ETF. So let's say you're a conservative investor, you don't want to invest in stocks but you want to invest in bonds because you think that's safer, okay? So let's say you go into the market and you buy a high yield bond ETF. Well, the yield on that high yield bond ETF is 4.4% at the moment, right? So 4.4%, when I started investing, when I was like 23, I actually remember that like, you know, 4.4% 4.4% was like the average dividend yield. Like that was a normal company it would have a dividend yield of like 4%. And then a high dividend yield would be like 8%, right? So that was that's how much things have changed to Is the that extent. Is interest rates were higher? Yeah, interest yeah. rates were higher. About 25 to 3% higher than they are now. So Everything that does work to a scale. Exactly. In that way. It's, it's a laddered scale. And as the interest rate moves down, people very carefully and very slowly get used to paying you know accepting lower and lower returns for worse and worse assets and this bond etf that i've been looking at um 
is full of the worst junk debt you've ever seen, right? It's got AMC in it. It's got AMC in it. That's all you need to you know. That's all you need to know. I mean, it's only like zero point one percent of the ETF, but it's got AMC in it, so it's shit. It must be pretty shit. <laughs> it must be shit. Um, well, have they'd have a similar credibility to AMC? Everything else in that basket, that's right? The, yeah, the, the average rating of that um, ETF is, I think, one above junk junk so the worst junk so it goes triple a double a a triple b double b b and then think c below that is the worst you can get before you're bankrupt basically and i think 50 percent of the bonds in that etf are b so they're one above the worst rating and that etf which has a thousand bonds in it and has an average um duration of each bond of about four years mm. yields 4.3 percent so that's the world that we're living in right now is that in, in in the bank account you can get you know nothing you can get half a percent maybe yeah and if you want to get a bit of extra yield you know it's gonna you know have to reach and you're gonna have to take this these junk companies on to get 4.3 percent now imagine a world we're in a world right now where inflation is running at six percent right so most assets are appreciating at six yeah. percent. You're going to you know, be holding junk bonds and losing two percent on your money. Losing two percent your money. So it's, it's the worst of the worst of the worst, right? Um, and think about what, how that kind of um, asset, that ETF full of those junk debt obligations. Think about what that's really worth in a world where interest rates have been risen from half a percent to say three percent, and how appealing that would be as an investment to people you know after that yeah. so we are we're short at the moment and we've, we've only done shorting or buying puts twice now this is the second time we've done it mm -hmm. the first time we did it was in february 2020 before um COVID. before COVID, before the virus hit because there was a we, we perceived there to be a unusual one-off temporary risk mm -hmm that would either build momentum and as the months would progress would get worse and worse and you would know you know whether it was you know gonna be bad or not and you could either sell out or you could do whatever you wanted so we bought puts we at in that for that problem we moved four percent of our money into short and went to cash this case in this case we're doing it a bit differently at the moment where five percent of our assets are now moved to puts on these bond etfs that were basically between 30% and 50% halve if interest rates rose even a little bit. So um, that's our hedge against inflation. And fortunately, the insurance, because bonds never move, the insurance or the put options are so cheap that if the bond ETF moves 50%, which means you go from getting a yield of 4.3% to 8.6%, so let's say the world changes and people don't want 4.3% from junk debt anymore. They want 8.6%. Well, that means the bond ETF is going to fall 50%. Okay. If the bond ETF does that, then we're looking at between a 50 and 60x on our insurance because bonds never move. So that, fortunately, the, the, the really hard thing in these situations is usually there's not a good way to cheaply insure yourself against inflation increasing and growing and you know, being a problem. But luckily, um, in this case, we think we found something that 
is not only a cheap way to insure, but actually it will offset any losses in the rest of the portfolio if we get inflation and the Federal Reserve has to act quickly. Mm. Um, because that's what I'm, I'm worried about is we've, we've done a historical, a lot of historical research and we can't find a seal case where the government hasn't risen interest rates to match inflation to stop the economy getting out of control. At this rate of CPI increase. At this rate of yeah. CPI increase. And so the pricing of those puts is basically telling us that we're crazy. Oh, yeah. That, you know, <laughs> it's insane to think that the Fed's going to touch interest rates. Yep. Um, but when you look back on history. Yep. And you see the CPI figures coming through. Yep. Uh, even the per month increases, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, 0. 0.6. Like I went back and I looked at 100 years worth of CPI increases. Yeah correlated to interest rate movements yeah. over a hundred year period. And like through the sixties and seventies, you see the same numbers happening. You yep. see like these little pockets of like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. Yep. And it's like, it's so inconsistent with normality mm-hmm. that at some point the Fed is forced to do something. And, you know, sometimes they're late, sometimes they're early, sometimes they don't do it as much and they, they backtrack and then they yep. have to move it again. Yeah. But like when you're seeing numbers come through, now of cpi at the moment yep last month was 0.9 mm-hmm. it's only a couple of months more of these same kind of figures the feds are gonna have to make like do something yeah and you can also take it off what they're saying as well yeah um which they're slowly adjusting their narrative yep and they're already slowing down. They're already tapering. They're already tapering. They're going to quicken yeah. their taper. Let's face it. It's yep. going to happen earlier than June. And the next step after they finish their tapering is to touch interest rates. That's just the only tool. That's the yeah. easiest tool at their disposal. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess we run the risk with those puts that the Fed could use different tools that they've never used before yeah um recently which is like price controls you know telling companies how much they are allowed to charge for products Raise prices but yeah. i think that is well beyond i think they'll use that Afterwards. as a last measure yeah yeah it, it'll be it'll be the rates will go first and people are listening to this saying like yeah but if they raise rates you know there's so much debt in the system they can't do that okay well that's from an investing. We are, I understand that perspective. That's our perspective too. Like yeah, if, it if will you, cause pain. it will cause it a will lot cause of pain. a lot of pain, yeah. a lot of damage in the economy. But think about what the de- the damage will be if everything around you is going up at six percent, five percent, six percent, five percent per year, and people have their money in the bank, and that's being eroded. And what happens is, as from from our study of history, is that when governments have I believe it's happening in Turkey at the moment. They're having crazy inflation, but they're keeping rates at zero. Okay. Well, what happens to the money in the accounts? It it, it leaves because why on earth would you keep your money in the bank if your money is being eroded, you know, month by month by month every time? That and that actually causes faster and more inflation because if all the money in the bank in your bank is being eroded, the money will come out and it will buy anything that's um, precious. And anything that is, um, you know, you can't be creating more of it. Anything that is scarce, basically. Um, 
and that's the that that's the real problem okay i understand that a lot of companies are indebted i understand that a lot of the bond market would be suffering but think about every single person around you and what decision they'll end up making if rates are kept at zero and the economy or the um, inflation numbers you know and 6.8% is actually understated from our research as well in reality it's more like 9 or 10% you know so the average person is going to start creating basically a run on the bank um, and pulling that money out, which is very, very dangerous. So they're playing with fire at the moment. And our opinion is that they're going to realize that they're starting to realize this. And by the middle, maybe the start of next year, towards the middle of next year, the market is going to be shocked at how fast they have to raise rates, which is going to cause pain everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, the counter argument, and there's always a counter argument that everyone's following, um, which is that actually this inflation is transitory and really technological innovation, DNA sequencing. AI. AI. It's actually deflation. It's actually deflation. Yeah. 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 Um, That's true, but that's expressed in productivity. Okay. And productivity from your research, love, is like a very consistent number um, over time. Well, we've been in deflation since the 1600s, mm. right? I think the best purchase we've made all year has been Grant Williams' podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, we paid like nearly $700 for a yearly subscription. Yeah. Um, it's priceless. Priceless, Worth yeah. every cent. Probably five times that in terms of the quality of the people that are on there. And um, this is this, this kind of the thing that really scares me about this is that from... So I started reading about the virus in January and then I went into like full-on immersion research mode and I was reading, I was Googling coronavirus, coronavirus, coronavirus every like 10 minutes for like three months and I was just reading every single bit of information about it. And even though every single epidemiologist and every single virologist and every person who had any kind of understanding of how a virus works was saying worldwide pandemic this is bad this, this is, is bad. bad this is going to be bad but they weren't incentivized no. to have an opinion they no. just had their scientific opinion looking at the data exactly they were unbiased now look at the people who are saying on tv that no oh, they won't raise interest rates they're not going to do that you know the fed said they're going to do this right they've all been wrong <laughs> over the past year so all the economists when, you, when we look back at the information that the forecast from a year ago yeah. They all thought inflation would be 2.1% this year. And it's like 6.8. It's like 300% wrong. So they're so incorrect about that information. And that that kind of mass delusion that I'm seeing where a lot of people who have the incentive to not think that rates will go up or can go up or they would never do that. How can they? they you know, there's no chance of that because of what would happen. You know, that feels like a very similar delusional mindset to the virus that I saw where you were getting people on Wall Street saying like, you know, there's, it's going to be like SARS and, it's going to be, and they weren't actually paying attention to the specific information which tells you the truth, which is that all of these factors that are causing it, like there's labor shortages all across America. You know, people have been either overworked through COVID, they're not well because they've been sick or retirees have made so much money off stock market, they're quitting early. Um, people are moving across the country. So there's an increase in velocity, um, which is an inflationary word. Basically, um, you can get printing of money 
let's say you print twice as much money and everyone spends at the same rate they were spending before, or you have the same amount of money and everyone doubles the amount of transactions they do, that's an increase in velocity and that causes inflation even if there's a um, reduction in money supply. So I'll say that again, like you can get inflation out of control purely because people are spending at a higher frequency compared to you know, even a reduced money supply. That's how complex inflation is. And it's from my research, so I first started this, I first started, I first started reading about inflation um, about six months ago, luckily, because Mike Burry, you know, big short Mike Burry, mm. he, his Twitter account's like always getting taken down and put back up, taken down and put back up, you know, and I was like following it and he suggested this book, that one there, um, Dying of Money. Um, from the 70s mm. and it's a study of what causes inflation like what is the underlying cause of it and mm. we all think in our generation and our sort of um, mentalities that it's from money printing but it's not it's psychological so things like like, like for example the example about keeping the money in the bank account um, versus spending it in the real world you know everyone in Argentina spends their money as soon as they get it because now is everything's got open value, so you gotta spend your money now. So everyone is spending money as fast as they possibly can. That is inflationary. So the psychological kind of patterns of people is actually what can cause this to get out of control. And usually it starts with a shock of some sort. Like in the 70s, they had oil shortages and that caused people to get that kind of scarcity mindset and to get in the habit of trying to charge more and trying to buy more and spending faster and spending more frequently. Um, and so these are the kind of things where raising interest rates, making people putting the brakes on, you know, putting the gas, putting the brakes and kind of screeching the car to a halt and slowing everyone down, that's what interest rates does. And that's what the goal is. The goal is to actually slow everyone down, stop so much money flowing, stop so many assets being, you know, bitted up in price. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it has negative effects too, of course. It's not like there's, there's a reason why it took um, Paul Volcker in that 70s and 80s. Like inflation was 15%, and then he raised interest rates to 20%. He actually, to actually stop Imagine it, that. to stop inflation, he had to push the interest rate 5% past the actual inflation rate. So he had to make it so appealing for people to instead of spending their money, put their money in the bank account and get a good you know good return. That slowed the economy. That slowed everyone down. There was a huge recession, you know, and um, yeah, from memory, stock markets went nowhere fifteen years. Hibernation. Hibernation. Yeah. yeah. And you know you might think, oh well, you're going to bankrupt companies. Well, if they're a co- if you're a company, you're invested in a company. Mm-hmm. They can't survive with a two percent interest interest rate high. Yeah. Well, maybe you shouldn't be around. No. Like this, they call them zombie companies, yeah. right? Yeah. They're companies that just keep getting fed and staying alive when they shouldn't be, yeah. because they're actually a drain on productivity. Exactly. They're not exactly. actually adding anything to society. Yeah. They're a waste. Yeah. And so you know they, they need to be cleaned out, and a raise in interest rates will do that. We'll do that, yeah. But yeah, we'll cause some pain with it, obviously. We'll cause some pain as well. So and so we're not saying that this is definitely going to happen. We're still pretty much fully invested, but 
we've now taken 5% of our portfolio and, and bought insurance, um, thinking that bonds are going to be the things that are going to be hit most because, and not only bonds, but the worst kind of bonds are the ones who are going to be hit the most. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, the way the options pricing works is it uses the historical price and it uses the volatility mm. and it just produces a price for the insurance like algorithmically with no human input and that's why the op- that's why the options are so cheap like i would be surprised if the people who are writing the options even know what a, is in the bond etf like it's a different kind of process um so yeah if you don't if options kind of scare you and like that's kind of good to always explain like I'm not like an options trader. Like we're not we're not like looking at options every day and like you know we don't have a thousand positions. Like we have six stocks, we have six stocks we're diversified, and it's just for situations like this where there's a lot of uncertainty, and where there's so much risk. Like, um, I tweeted the other day that people are without realizing it betting thirty to fifty percent of their portfolio. On the effect on the fact that inflation is transitory and like someone asked me like what do you mean what do you mean by that it's like well take your valuation you know if you use a you know discounted cash flow or whatever it is take your valuation and just raise your required return from eight percent to ten percent to twelve percent keep everything else the same keep your you know, you profit the same, keep your future growth the same, keep everything the same, but just raise that required return by 4% and see what happens to the value of any asset, of any asset. Mm. Um, and the funny thing is like stocks seem to be able to raise prices. So actually they can become more profitable to offset that. So stock is not necessarily that's like sell everything like it was with the virus because we're heading for a depression, but bonds do not raise prices. Bonds you know that's the obligation is a fixed payment for a fixed amount of time um so yeah is everyone confused (laughs) i think it's like (laughs) well to be fair like i'm still learning obviously every time anyone's mentioned bonds i've been like oh i'm not nerdy enough to know anything about that yeah so it's like oh territory i'm just not even gonna try understand exactly but then you explained it to me like a like I was five years old (laughs) and it was the best possible thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, so don't call it a bond, call it a company. Call it a company. And the company pays you a yearly dividend. Yeah. But that dividend is not a percentage of profits. It is a set dollar amount. Like you imagine you've paid a hundred dollars for a share and you're getting $10 per year, right? Fixed. Fixed. $10 fixed. No matter what. That's what a bond is. But instead of paying $100 for the share, you pay $100 face value for the bond. But you're getting $10 no matter what. It's a per contract. Year it's until a, it runs per, out. per year. So and then the you moment, get your $100 back. Yeah, the channel's back. So you're getting 10% you know, per year. But if interest rates change to the point where you can get 10% in the bank account anymore you know, instead, well, that 10% based on your $100 original price doesn't make so much sense anymore like actually if you were trying to sell that bond to somebody else when you can get 10% in the bank account and you bought in at that point where you're getting a 10% return $10 per year drop that down to a point where you're actually getting 20% or you have to reduce the price that you pay Mm -hmm. and that's how bond valuation works same as a stock same as any kind of asset that produces cash flow it's really the simplest of 
yeah. things. It's a calculation. Yeah. And it does work in line with the interest rate. It does. It's a dance that they do. It does. One moves, the other moves. It does. So. And the spread right now between what the, the bank interest rate is and the inflation rate, like there's no time in history that we can find in any country pretty much where it's been that large. Like they always, and it, the really funny thing is, is that interest rates follow inflation. Inflation doesn't follow interest rates. So I'll say that again. Interest rates trail the inflation numbers, not the other way around. So the Fed's saying, okay, we're gonna raise rates three times next year, let's say. 0.25% every time. But that's based on their forecasts. Their forecasts last year were that inflation would be 2% this year. Mm. It's almost 7 probably 10 they have to react to what's happening in they're the economy they're just reacting they're just reacting okay and they're just trying to keep the peace and calmness and not have too much big disruption yeah that's their job so even if they agree with what we think right yeah. now even if they are aware of all of it which they probably are you know people say that they're dumb people say oh well the fed they've just fucked this up again haven't yeah, they yeah. like well, they're probably aware of everything, but they can't come out and say it, let alone act, because people just freak out. That's scare the market, yeah. Um, they're in a really tough spot. But saying that, I'm like experiencing that realization that the system is broken in a way. Yeah. Because the best thing they could be doing now, the optimal thing, they're not doing. No. And they're not doing because they are trying to just maintain calmness over a large population of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not the way you should be running the system. Like if you're wanting to preserve capital and yeah. and have a, a good economy, a yeah. good functioning economy. Yeah. So yeah, the system's not great. <laughs> um, and, and the but, Fed's the, the Fed's job is to do two things: employment and price stability. That's what their job is. Yeah. Their job is not stock market and bond market. Their job, like from, because the whole idea of them, there's like a lot of conspiracies about the Fed and stuff, but they're like separate from the government, but they're kind of within the government. It's this like messy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they are, they know how bad inflation is. And um, when I, I guess, tweet this episode, I'll also retweet um, Larry Summers, who I think was Barack Obama's treasury secretary secretary so he's really smart really smart guy um, professor at harvard and he what he was saying in that video was should give every investor chills they should be terrified because he said that the fed needs to restore credibility otherwise Mm. people are going to lose faith in the whole system and if you start leaving interest rates at one percent where everything around you is going up at ten percent you know you're going to create these inflationary dynamics where people are just going to be spending on anything they possibly can to preserve value. And that's where you can get hyperinflation. Um, you know, there's, it's a very complex thing. Inflation It's not just about money printing. It's about people's opinions, people's perception of the future. Like if you get people who are seeing everything go up, like even taking us, even if you have got money in the bank account, getting 6% with inflation, let's say they raise interest rate to 6% and the world collapses. But people may still prefer to be doing things in the economy if it's going up all the time, um, and that's what that's what scares me is that, and that's what Larry Summers was talking about. We're risking making inflation entrenched, 
as a psychological, in the same way that a depression is a mass psychological aversion to spending, inflation is the exact opposite. It is a psychological addiction to spending more in the present than saving for the future, um, which causes too much demand um, and is really, 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 really risky to the economy. Mm. Um, so yeah, we believe that there's a, at least a 50-50 chance that they have to act quickly in, the, in next year. Um, and yeah, there's a good chance that collapses the bond market and perhaps the stock market. And they have already basically come out and said, well, we're going to have to drop the word transitory, basically. It's looking, you know, it's not that. And you probably have a little bit more faith in what they say as well if, you know, when they came out with their projections of like, yeah, we aim, our target is 2% CPI for this year. Uh If they had like countered that with, but we do expect some transitory inflation that we're going to have to work through. Yeah. If they'd like, shown some forethought for the current scenario we're in i might be like well maybe they maybe they do have a plan yeah you know maybe they are one step ahead but that lack of awareness tells me they're just reacting to what's happening yeah they're just trying to you know something happens they react they're not proactive so yeah i guess us as investors have that ability to be proactive and to act quicker yeah and, and and protect yourself because at the moment there's an opportunity to cheaply profit off if a rise in interest rates happen let's say it was just like one and a half percent that's that bond etf that junk bond etf is still probably not as appealing as it was you know at 4.3 if you can get one and a half instead of zero in the bank it's mm-hmm. probably going to suck some volume out but what i really think is going to happen is that the rates are going to go two and a half two, two and a half next year at some point. Um, And then even that's not going to be enough or it may not be enough. And then we're looking at a real inflationary panic Mm. where having people starting to think, geez, what if they have to go higher than the inflation rate to stop this demand um, tsunami that's coming through the economy of people desperate to buy anything they can. We need to stop this. We need to make it really appealing for people to put money in the bank. We need to make it more expensive to lend because that's the other part of it too is if you keep rates at zero and you're seeing assets go up in value all the time, then like, why wouldn't you think logically, oh, I'm going to borrow at 1%, I'm going to buy this house that's been going up at 15% a year. Like the, the, the calculation makes sense based on just looking at the present, but if you, and that's where the, the danger is in keeping the rates low. So yes, raising the interest rates or leaving the interest rates low means that the bond market's fine, stock market's fine, but you're looking at risking these other psychological factors, which are very hard to kind of undo once they get entrenched. And entrenched is the word that the people who used to be in the government who don't have like a incentive anymore keep using um, the dangers of entrenching inflation. Mm. So like, I don't think we're people that like, like Robert Kiyosaki or, you know, that Harry Dent guy, like who's like always saying that same thing, like, oh, it's going to be a crash. It's going to be a crash. Like, no, like we, we were fully invested up until like three months ago. And then, um, yeah, started to get pretty scared when we realized that the inflation was really pumping away. Mm. So Yeah, you just got to think for yourself. Yeah. Do your own work. Actually understand the marketplace you're in yep. and what you hold. And don't take the Fed's word 
don't just listen to other investors that you follow don't just listen to us actually like understand what's happening in the world around you yeah a lot of um probably value investors too are like ah macro it's macro i just ignore it you know buffett ignored it you know (laughs) um okay around 69 was it Buffett closed down his fund, took all the cash out, gave it back to their clients, yeah. and he went fishing for four years. Yeah, because he was seeing valuations similar are too scenarios yeah. to what we're seeing now. Yeah. So no, Buffett didn't ignore macro; he just chose not to really um, to hedge it or make yeah. big moves during it. If, he just if, hibernated and yeah. came back when the prices had crashed. And then later, like I remember reading once, and I thought this was really bizarre, but he said one of the best investments that he should have made was when government bonds were trading at 18%, he should have loaded up on government bonds. Mm. So what, what does that tell you about, we're now in the opposite situation to that. Like that's mm. the opposite would be government bonds at high rates. But Buffett said that he should have loaded up on that at the time. Um, so there probably wasn't a way to go short bonds easily in his day or maybe he's got too much money now. But Mike Burry, a few months ago on his thing that came out, he was he owned puts on bond ETFs and I, I found that out after we did the thing mm. and I was like shit like he Is obviously the cleanest way to do it yeah uh, bond, bond ETFs didn't exist back in Buffett's day yeah they didn't exist so exactly yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't have the tools he didn't have the tools that we have now so exactly would you try and imagine him now what he would do yeah and Buffett's whole thing is he has like he's changed his ap- approach so many times and he has changed constantly with the times um, to do what what works, and that's why we love someone like Drucker Miller. Eh? Like Drucker Miller, he's never had a down year. He made like thirty percent a year for you know twenty years or something um, because he's multidisciplinary. Like yeah. he looks at bonds, looks at commodities, looks at stocks, and he moves between them depending on where he sees sees the value. And he's also super concerned about inflation like if you watch any of his interviews recently he's done um super concerned about inflation buffett's mentioned it. everyone's mentioning it but the market at this stage is having their belief in the federal reserve that they won't raise rates that they won't you know cut the legs off the market um but i just think, I, I don't think they'll have a choice no it's, that's blind faith that's like yeah we're not into blind faith no, no. We're, we're into, you know, compounding <laughs> as much as we can. Um, so, you know, hopefully one day the, you can have an impact, a positive impact on the world with your capital. Um, and yeah, you know what? Like a lot of these companies shouldn't be around anymore. Like that's reality. Like if a company is so indebted that it's just scraping by and it's doing something that's not productive for society, like a lot of these companies are, you know, well, yeah. Okay, so that's back to the deflationary argument, Kathy yep. Wood style argument. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, we're just on the precipice of like completely changing our world. Uh-huh. And like, you know, valuations aren't going to be crazy because everything's going to kick in. DNA and... sequencing is going to come in. <laughs> um, what are the other ones again? DNA sequencing, electric, electric vehicles. She's always artificial talking. intelligence. Artificial intelligence, yeah. you know. So, robots going to do everything for us and yeah. everything's going to be really cheap in the future and yeah yeah oh but there'll be no jobs for anybody but we need but sam zell said in his podcast with grant williams um good old sam zell yeah <laughs> <laughs> he said that in his um hospital that he owns so he owns hospitals 
in America that he's having to pay $200 an hour for nurses, you know, to actually do surgeries and to do stuff because a hospital needs to operate. So if, if you, whatever nurses are around, it's going to be competitive for those nurses to actually do that skilled work. So if you, if I was like seeing a situation and Sam Zell, after saying that he was going to have to pay $200 to a nurse, but he goes, actually, Kathy Wood's ARK Invest has a nurse robot that could, that could just come in and do all the nursing. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Innovation, it's, it's actually offsetting. It's, it's reducing the, you know, the pressure on the economy because of these nurse robots and these like... I haven't seen anything in reality yet. I mean, who's There's that, a couple of Teslas driving around. That That's pretty much What's it. that blood? <laughs> Theranos, right? Theranos, Theranos, yeah. We couldn't even come up with a fucking machine <laughs> that takes a fingerprint of blood and yeah. can test it for like... Um, yeah, yeah. For one metric. Exactly. We couldn't even have a machine that actually did that. That was exactly. a rort. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to look through all of Kathy Wood's portfolio and actually physically see the stage where every item is at yeah. and like how that's going to change industry in reality. Yeah. Like really. Yeah. Is, you just got prototypes or you just got drawings and yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not an argument. You know, deflationary um, environments technology. Yep. have been in place since the 1600s. Yeah. Like you look... This De- is, yeah. Deflationary Grant, factors. Yeah. Grant Williams' yeah. podcast. He was talking Perfect. to someone about this. You know, think about the light bulb. Um, think about the wheel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, air conditioning. You know, <laughs> all these things. Okay, that has Being produced um, a consistent low level deflation over time, hmm. and that's we've enjoyed that up until now. Yeah. But now it's kind of like that argument doesn't hold weight as much it's not like it's going to compound to a th- like a thousand percent to what we've experienced in the past exactly yeah yeah couple of decades and even i think like okay so let's say let's say she's right about all the technology and once technology becomes implemented it's going to cause huge deflation okay true let's say that's true think about all of the capital investment and all of the manpower investment that's going to have to go into those things to actually cause the point where it becomes deflationary it's actually inflationary. If you're spending money, like yeah. even even all the, um, you know, build back better stuff, like whether you politically are for it or against it, like it's probably a good thing that we we can generate a lot of our power from renewable sources. But again, that's going to be inflationary in the sense you have to pay these workers really well to get skilled workers to you know get the materials that you need. You know, the the demand is going to be strong, and when demand's really strong, that causes demand for workers, demand for materials that causes prices to go up um, and inflation to stay high. So when we did our little whiteboard exercise and we basically covered one whiteboard full of new factors that are now going to be inflationary for the economy versus factors that are deflationary, um, the inflationary side of the board is full and the inflationary has got like one or two things on there. Yeah, the inflation is active now. It's happening now. Yeah. Um, the deflationary measures are not even close to happening now. There's a big hurdle that's going to have to be hit before we experience any of those things in our yeah. day-to-day lives. So, yeah, that's... It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's very complicated scary. and it's, yeah, it's, it's, very, um, it's very full on and just definitely anybody who is hearing a lot of this stuff and thinking like, what are they talking about? Like, Go to the bookstore, get any book about inflation you can. Um, we're doing a secondhand bookstore run today, trying to find 
you know, some books from the seventies about the time period, um, about the kind of mindset and about the kind of economic circumstances and how it works. Not saying it's like a like for like comparison, mm. but it's just it just tells you a little bit about the things that governments can do to to stop it and to slow it down. Um, yeah, but main main point is it's a big danger. And last time we saw the virus thing, we didn't have a podcast, and now we do. No, imagine if we did. That would have been yeah, crazy. yeah. But yeah, like don't lose perspective with where we're at as like a human society. Yeah. Like where do you, it really doesn't matter if um, you're doing really well in the market and you've mm-hmm. got things that have gone up 50% and like you've got to look around you and see the world that you're playing within. Yeah. And like it matters when 60% of the population have to pay three times more for a loaf of bread. Yeah. Like that does actually matter to your portfolio. You should be aware of it. Just because it's macro doesn't mean that it's not really important. Um, And yeah, if you you own great companies that, that are growing it, like we own some which we think will grow... 15, 20% a year for the next 10 years, no matter what. And we're holding those companies. So we're not, you know, selling everything like we were last time. But if you're owning businesses that are a lot more slow growing, if you own businesses that have a lot of debt that have to refinance, you know, I'd be running numbers on what, how that affects the profit and loss, you know, like with, with higher interest payments with, you know, it's... um. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not going to be able to get financing, but I do think that there's a chance they have to pay pay higher rates because the Federal Reserve is not just working for the stock market. No, that's what you I'm know? saying. In no. the past, you know, I think two years ago, what happened was called a taper tantrum. So there was no inflation going on and rates were at zero. And the Federal Reserve said, look, it will be good. We're going to raise interest rates to a normal level. So next time we have a crisis... We're gonna we can drop those rates and we can you know stimulate the economy just so we're just gonna raise it. Market freaked out. Bond market, stock market, you know, started crashing because like oh crap, we're gonna have to deal with rates that are two percent instead of zero. Like you know, and there was no actual reason to raise rates at that point. This time, totally different. Totally different. Totally different. Yeah, yeah. the government when average people start screaming out that they're paying wage like their fuel bills gone up fifty six percent. When that starts, yeah. I mean, that's not going to take that long, let's face it, no. before the government has to act to protect the average person yep. and not protect the bankers and the shareholders yep. and the asset-rich people. Like, it's and politically, yeah, it's pretty clear. Politically, Biden, like, you know, if you know one thing about him is that he does at least purport to be for the average, for the average man. You know, against and he's not really a Wall Street person, you know, like he's like an average average Joe kind of a bloke. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what's not only is it logically that he would care more about the average man, politically, if you look at the surveys now, his approval ratings dropped and the number one reason people say is inflation. So he's actually gonna be in favor of doing something about it. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's um Lucky Trump's not in. Lucky Trump's... be a very different story. Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> He'd what probably he... print another four trillion. Probably print another four trillion, borrow it to himself, <laughs> pay his friends. Pay all, sign all the checks with his name. Sign all the checks with his name. <laughs> he probably thought that people wouldn't cash it. They'd just keep it as like an autograph. Yeah, yeah. Huge inflation. It's huge. That egotistical. Yeah. So anyway, we're really worried about it. 
um, don't take our word for it. Do your own due diligence. Always think for yourself. If someone comes up with a really good deflationary argument that says, you know, no, you guys are wrong. All this stuff is transitory. We're going back to normal inflation. That's true. And rates don't have to rise. In which case, the rest of our portfolio should do fine. And we'll probably lose 2.5% on our insurance policies. No problem at all there. You know? Oh, yeah, I'm open to that. I'm searching for that argument. We're still searching for it. But the problem is that the only people who are on the favor, on, on the side of that argument, are in the Kathy Wood camp. Yes, you and know. I can't actually get any tangible... Facts. Like, numbers. I want some tangible numbers. Yeah. Like, what percentage of deflation have you factored in and from what cause? In what areas of the economy are you thinking that, you know, yes, of course, automation is affecting things, but it's kind of consistent because it takes a lot of capital and it takes time and it takes people to actually design the robots, build the robots materials like it's actually like a process like it takes you know a long time to do it yeah um, we, look we've had the emergence of the internet for goodness sake yeah well how deflationary was that how much yeah. more productive did that make us as a species and we've had that for decades now exactly like do you is there something on the books on someone's books yeah, that yeah. is more productive yeah. and deflationary than the internet <laughs> yeah anyone yeah yeah people are still sending letters and we're still getting letters in the mail so that's free you can do that for free that would be very deflationary you know no no trees need to be cut down no kind of i just think people need to come back to reality yeah yeah. check in with reality like look at older investors don't think they're outdated no don't think oh those old blokes you know they don't know what they're talking about you know they're just not with it no (laughs) they've lived through crashes like yeah They've seen this play out time and time again. Yeah. What they have to say is invaluable. Oh, yeah, exactly. You can hear that sound. That's a, a dash hound scratching. There you go. You happy now, Zoe? <laughs> yeah. We're always in favor of like listening to the older people because they've survived. Yeah. And like, they've done you the know, best. Ten, a 10 year record doesn't mean anything. Um, didn't you find too? Because the last time there was a bond crash was 1994 right and there was a period of of stimulus and the market was blindsided by federal reserve raising rates um in 1994 and there was a huge huge bond panic and bond prices went down 30 percent um yeah so it's happened before in the exact same way um and we i just can't see a way that they can make the average person to kind of slow their spending down slow the economy down without crashing the stock market and without crashing the bond market, you know, because, yeah, Buffett said it, interest Mm. rates are like gravity. Mm. So there might be some gravity coming. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty crazy. Anyway, if you disagree, awesome. That's what I want. I want people who are smart, who disagree, to send me their, you know, analysis and their opinion and don't, don't be like, Oh, they wouldn't do that because <laughs> that's not an argument. Like, yeah, they would, no, and true. they have. Um, Volcker raised rates, and the funny thing about seventies, I don't be like half on about seventies all the time, but there was was there three bumps? Yeah, three massive surges of inflation, sure. yeah. and the first two before they killed inflation, they didn't raise rates enough, so they raised rates behind inflation. It kind of subdued the economy, but then it came back. It came, came back, back again. It came back again. And that's the third time. So yep. they pushed it to 20. They pushed it well above 
inflation yep. and they kept it there until it was dead. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a disease in a way. It's kind of like cancer of the yep. system. Yeah. And like you've really got to make sure you have like killed it. Exactly. Exactly. By, by pretty tough measures that cause pain. Yeah. Yeah. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Um, and even in our little business that we're still running, which is going really well. So we've got our Tim still working for us and our little woodworking business is yeah. going well. But I started, yeah, noticing a few months ago when I would, someone would call me up um, instead of, like, I basically get like three or four calls a day for jobs, which I, which I answer. Um, so I'm talking to people every day and I ask them a few questions about the job. I price the job over the phone um, and I've just, I've really noticed a lack of pushback you know and that, that could be just going into christmas but you've even you know. had someone say are you sure that's enough are you sure that's like, right like yeah yeah trades are charging like way more than that now yeah yeah it's people see people get used to paying more used and to it just more. gets sunk into habit and psychology and instead of fighting it by asking you oh that's too much and by going somewhere else there's no one else to go to so they actually fight it by asking for pay rises which causes companies' costs to go up, which causes companies to raise their prices, which makes people go, oh, geez, everything's going up. I need more pay. It's called a wage price spiral. And that's the worst because yeah. wages you can't easily bring back down. No. That's an increase that it's permanent. pretty much remains. Yeah. It's a permanent cost increase. Um, so, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> happy, happy hunting. <laughs> And um, yeah, I guess thanks for listening. Have you got anything else to say, love? No, we better get back to reading about inflation, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, the, we're not recording this one twice. This one's going out the first It'll time. Do. <laughs> you know, screw the editing. I always feel like we're, it's always such a um, serious chat, though. Yeah, I know. Because it's like, all right, quick, let's get all the information out that we've learned. And yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, maybe we should do it <laughs> weekly. It'd be more casual. But, um... Go back to reading about 70s. <laughs> if you got this far, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Now, if you'd like to become my 22nd or my 43rd, follow us on Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Mitch, anything else? Nothing to add. <laughs>